Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cyphers Theatre Podcast, a podcast for university students and graduates who are interested in a career in theatre. I'm Will Hollyhead, one of the co-artistic directors of Cyphers. And I'm Marcus Baisley, co-founder and one of the other co-artistic directors. This week we're continuing on producing and we talked to the lovely Laura Elms who studied philosophy at King's College London before going on to work for and assist a number of producers in the commercial sector. And then she set up her own production company, Laura Elms Productions, which she still runs whilst also being head of programming for Troubadour Theatres. We had a fantastic conversation talking about the side of theatre that I know very little about, I feel, uh, talking about Edinburgh going up there both as a student and then as a professional and also getting jobs and working in the commercial sector. Hope you enjoy. Laura, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. How's everything been with you over these past few mad months to start with? Good. Um, busy. Opened a drive-in cinema, so that's fun. <laughs> she do. It is kind of dead, but you know, we'll be back. So then, to kind of wind the clock back, as we've been doing um, on most of these chats that we've had with people, to before you went to university, actually, um, mm. can you remember what was was going through your head then when you decided that you were going to go to London, go to King's to do your degree? Was yeah. a career in theatre something that was already in your mind at the front or back or was that not even a thought at that point? No, it definitely was. I mean, I decided when I was about 13 that I was going to move to London when I finished college and I was going to become a star. <laughs> um <laughs> And then, like, I got to the point of applying to drama school. I was like, actually, I'm not really sure I want to do it. Um, So I thought, I'll go to university. I'll go to London. I'll get a good backup plan, which turned out to be a philosophy degree, which is obviously a waste of time. Um, So I don't really know that was a backup. But, um, yeah, I kind of thought I wanted to be an actor. I think because you don't really, when you're at school or youth theatre, you don't really get any options to try anything else. Um, Mm. It kind of feels like... Being an actor is the only option if you want to work in theatre. Um, so, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. And then kind of realised later that's not what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be in theatre. Did you audition for drama schools at all or did you just no. go? And... I think I thought I... I don't know if I thought I wanted to, but I was too scared. But anyway, when it got to the point of like paying 25 quid to audition, I was like, nah. <laughs> I, a, I don't I don't have that kind of money. I've literally I earn three pounds an hour in a shop. You know, if you want to apply to five drama schools that's you know A lot of hours in a shop. It's a lot of hours yeah. in that shop and I did not enjoy that shop. <laughs> um so yeah, so you came to, to King's then, as you say, with with that in mind. Um yeah. so how was your experience, I suppose, first of all, of the theatre stuff that you did of, at King's and of student drama, did you, you presumably then, well, I know the answer to this because you were in a play I directed, but um, <laughs> your first thought at King's still was acting, presumably? Yeah, it was. And then I auditioned for every show across all the theatre societies at King's in my first year and I didn't get into any of them. So that was a bit disheartening. I mean, I wasn't very good, so I understand why. But, (laughs) again, there was nothing else to do. So then at the end of the first year, I decided I'm going to go and take it over. 
<laughs> I actually yes. did go to the meeting with that in mind, but it ended up happening anyway because nobody turned up. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, and then second year was like doing, obviously, the King's Players, as you know, and I auditioned yes. for your show, and for some reason you put me in it. Because um, you were that was, exceptional. That was, thanks that was so fun. much. <laughs> and that was the show where I realised I didn't want to act anymore, so thanks, Will. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to take that as a backhanded compliment and therefore take full credit for you being now the wonderful producer you are. Exactly. You helped me find my true purpose. Um, But no, I'd always kind of been... So even when I was at school, I was like a bit of a a Dell boy, Um, you know, like selling, like renting people, like my Astro Jacks. I don't know if you ever played them. There's like marbles and stuff. Um, and then I, st- <laughs> then I ended up like importing things from China to sell on eBay. Um, so I <laughs> kind of always had that business <laughs> side in the back of my mind. And then kind of when I realised at King's that there is somebody who does that job, but for theatre, aka producer, I was like, ah. So when it came to a chance to actually produce a show, I was like, this is what I want to do. And kind of up from there. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because I think everybody that we've spoken to so far has both in common that regardless of what they ended up doing in theatre, they thought at that age that they wanted to be an actor just before going to university. And also that when they actually think back to that time, there were actually lots of signs which were pointing them in hindsight in the direction of what they ended up doing, but they just couldn't see that at the time. Because as you say, everything, if you are exposed to theatre at that age, 99% of the time, everything that you see as an option is literally just acting, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't know what a producer was until I was like second year of university. And even then I didn't know what it was. Um, yeah, that's because you got mm. to see me try and produce a play badly. <laughs> well, no, you. to be fair, you were the director and then you ended up being the producer as well. But, I mean, again, like, at university, it's obviously it's quite different, isn't it? Because you're just given, you know, his £500, go and buy some nice dresses and put on a show. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it wasn't until I kind of started looking into it a bit more and I remember the director of the first show I produced gave me this book how to become a producer or so you want to be a producer by james seabright i don't know if uh she was trying to hint at something there that wasn't very good <laughs> um but yeah then i kind of read that and then went to stage one to do a workshop i was like ah oh, okay this is great like how did i not know this was a thing but you just i just just don't so what sort of thing came out of that stage one workshop then what, what were you doing in that so um it was like a three-day thing. Um, and, yeah, it was just, like, lots of producers talking about what they do and kind of how they got into it. And then, like, marketing teams and, like, you know, sessions about royalty pools, which I hadn't really heard of before. Um, mm. And it just kind of made me realise it was possible because I think, you know, growing up in the middle of the countryside, like my family don't have anything to do with the arts and thought, you know, it's a pipe dream. And you kind of think, oh, that's... Yeah, that's not for me you can't you can't work in that um industry it's just not where someone like me would work um but it kind of made me realize oh you can actually do it it's not you know that hard these jobs do exist um well it's quite hard but you know it's it's possible <laughs> 
Um, mm. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It just kind of opened up. I just opened up my eyes. The fact that I could actually do it. Um, yeah. And it's not, well, it is an old boys club, but it's definitely becoming less so now. Um, and yeah, just great. Stage one's the best. If you want to be a producer, go to stage one. It's quite interesting how in most of these discussions, everyone seems to have had this moment where suddenly they've gone, oh, so you know what, I think this bit of theatre is more me. Mm-hmm. And it sort of happened quite naturally. Like you said with, you know, turning up to the King's Players meeting and inadvertently staging a coup. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of, it, you know, chance led you there, but then you kind of went, well, actually, this feels right. Everyone has that moment, don't they? I think. Either when they realise it's all possible or that, oh, that's what I want to do. So looking at the kind of the crossover between university and out of university mm-hmm. um, of, of Edinburgh. So can yeah. you tell us a little bit about, because if my memory serves me rightly, the first show that you took to Edinburgh was The Ascension of Mrs Leach. It was indeed. And that was through King's Players. You de- you definitely was, yeah. were at King's, yeah. Yeah, well, it was. It was we just finished. Well, yeah, we we were obviously like making it when we were at King's. We did the previews at King's, and then um, we actually took it to Edinburgh just after we finished. So some of the cast were still, you know, like second year or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I can't remember how it happened. We just decided we were going to take a show to Edinburgh, and then everybody submitted these shows and then the whole society voted and then it ended up being the one that I was producing, which was great. Um, yeah, God, it's kind of crazy. As someone who, as you said, obviously started to get into producing by that stage, but as you say, didn't yeah. have a, a long background of doing it. Can you take us a bit through, I don't know, the whole logistic experience of getting that show up there and choices that you made and things you might yeah. do differently, lessons you learnt, etc. Um, so, I mean, I think the first thing I did was I started, well, I, the year before, because I was like, I want the King's Place to take a show to Edinburgh. So I went to Edinburgh, because I'd never been, to the Fringe. Um, so I went there for like four days just to kind of check it out and see what it was like. And obviously, I don't think you can imagine the Edinburgh Fringe until you go. Mm. Um, and then I started going to like workshops. I went to a workshop led by Francesca Moody, who had just produced this small little show called Fleabag, which is obviously pretty cool. <laughs> um, and like, it just, she just went through like everything she did and she did this amazing pack, um, like all the steps of taking to sh- a show to Edinburgh. So I have a lot to thank her for. She doesn't know me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, and just like learning how to do it. And then like my final year at King's, I skipped a lot of lectures <laughs> to go and intern for Jamie Hendry. Um, so I kind of started learning about all the kind of like office stuff that happens for a show. Um, so I worked on a couple of West End shows before I finished at King's, actually. But I didn't tell my mum because I was skipping <laughs> uni. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so by the time I got to Edinburgh, I'd actually worked on a, a few. Uh, and I was also... Um, I was a production assistant for James Seabright in Edinburgh at the same time as producing the first show. So, God, don't do that because you just die. <laughs> I'm honestly so tired. I, I think, I suppose the message is, as it's been with actually quite a lot of people who we've asked similar questions to, is just kind of 
get out there and give it a go and see what happens and what's the worst that could happen in many yeah, ways. Exactly. That's the thing. I mean, it's just theatre, isn't it? Like, the worst that could happen, yes, you have two people in the room watching your show, but, you know, nobody's going to die, hopefully. Um, yeah, I mean, you just kind of muddle through and try to do the right thing and learn a lot along the way. And it ended up going quite well. Just don't go in a venue that's too big and don't spend too much money because it will not go as well as you hope. <laughs> that's very wise. <laughs> I seem to remember that um, was the something of the ploy, as it were, with that show that the tickets were free. Or yeah, so we going... decided to do free tickets because we like we need to get as many people in there as as we can, and nobody wants. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's hard to sell tickets for a student show, I think, unless you're like one of the really well-known societies from like, you know, Footlights or whatever. And actually, I suppose the the virtue of going as a student is that it's not your money, so there's actually um, not the same pressure. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Kings, we actually only took like a thousand pounds from Kings, and we ended up paying it all back because um, we ended up managing to sell out every night, and people donated lots of money, which was lovely. Um, but yeah, we did it all through like crowdfunding, um, and like you know, we were living like oh god, it was awful. <laughs> like six <laughs> people in a in a one in like one bedroom, but you know, we were students, so we didn't care. We were just happy to be there. Um, <laughs> so we ended up. I think we spent we spent like four grand or something and there was like 11 of us and we just ended up making it back just about um but yeah it wasn't like you know we hadn't you know i hadn't had to front up all the money because it was all through crowdfunding i think we got a grant um yeah so it's like yeah it's less pressure i guess to have to sell tickets and then when they're free it's just kind of easier to pull people in and you've taken obviously quite a few shows up to Edinburgh since yeah. then. Yeah. Um, what's been different? What What did you learn from that first experience that you've put into play for the other ones that you've taken up, etc.? Um, I mean, I guess every show is different, but also it's more about like having the confidence to scale everything. So that first show, obviously, it was free, but you know, every night it was full. So I was like, okay, well. You know, if we can, and it was only forty seats, but it's like if we can fill a forty seat venue, then why not go up? So I think the next show I took was, oh god, I think it was one hundred and seventy. I had That's a few a big jump. that year. <laughs> it was quite big. No, so one show was an eight ninety seat, but one show was one hundred and seventy, and there was another two. Anyway, um, I ended up taking four shows the next time, um, but it just kind of gave me the confidence that you know we can do it, and yes. Yeah, I don't know. You're always going to have a flop. But also one of the things I learned from James Seabright is that you should like just take loads of shows because there will be a couple of flops and there might be a hit. And like overall, you'll average out probably about where you want to be. Hmm. Um, so spread yeah. the risk. Yeah, exactly. Um, or just multiply it by five. But... <laughs> Why Edinburgh, though? I mean, this, I suppose, it, yeah, what, what does Edinburgh give you? that you can't get anywhere else? So I think, I mean, first of all, obviously with the King's Place, it just started out like, we want to go to Edinburgh, it's this really cool thing. And then after that, taking shows, it was like, this is where you go to book a tour. And I think mm. especially as a new company, like, it's so hard to get venues to see your work. Um, and then obviously in Edinburgh, the whole 
the industry from the whole world just comes to this one place for a month and everyone is there. So if you want to get a meeting with so-and-so, like you might struggle all year round, even if you're both in London to organise it. But then when you're in Edinburgh, these meetings just seem to happen. Um, mm. And people that might have had thousands of chances to see your work before will actually finally get to see it. Um, and I think because people go there, they go there to look for work. So they're not busy with everything else. They're literally there to see shows. Um, so that that's kind of why we've gone so many times. It's to it's every time it's to book a tour. Um, and now like we have all those contacts with um, like UK venues. And now we're going to try and get international tours. So like obviously this year didn't happen, but we had a show. We had two, two shows that were going. Um, and it was like, we want to get a US tour for this one and we want to get an Australia tour for this one. Um, so hopefully that will happen next year if Edinburgh happens. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, it's all been about tour booking and relationship building from my perspective. And obviously the cast mm. just have a great time. I work really hard. But... Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting, actually, because hearing it from a producer's perspective, because so much of what I think a lot of people would usually hear about Edinburgh is from the performance perspective mm. or maybe the directing perspective. And it's, um, I suppose, it's not necessarily egotistical, but it's that more, oh, we're going to take a show to Edinburgh and it's going to yeah. be this beautiful artistic experience and whatnot. And then when the money side of it comes into it, that kind of, I suppose, jars people because, yeah. um, you know, the amount that it costs to take a show there is actually quite a risk just to do something that you want to do for art's sake um but actually hearing you talk about it from a producing point of view that's the first time I've ever heard someone talk about Edinburgh and it make total sense that taking a show to Edinburgh is a good decision rather than just I suppose a vanity trip yeah and I think a lot of the yeah. time for creatives it it can be because you know you can do a show anywhere but obviously you want people to see it and Edinburgh is just a lot of fun. It's like, it's like nowhere else in the world to do a show. Like you can't compare any other fringe festival to Edinburgh. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it is a massive financial risk. So every time somebody comes to me and just, I, I work with the same people a lot. So every time they come to me with a new show and they're like, we want to take it to Edinburgh. I'm like, mm, no, but then I like, <laughs> but it's like not no a blanket no, but it's like I'm not just going to take it to Edinburgh because you know you think it would be fun, but you got to kind of work out a plan for the show itself. And does taking it to Edinburgh make sense? So a lot of shows I'm developing right now, it's like okay, these are the ones that are going to go to Edinburgh because they're the perfect Edinburgh audience, and that's where the programmers that we want to see it will see it, and it will start getting a bit of an audience that can then take it further. No, I think that's I think that's all really good advice. And I, as I say, I think that the main thing to come out of it is experience it, and then that's the best way to yeah. form your own opinions and your own gut responses as to what an Edinburgh show is and what an Edinburgh show maybe isn't. I was saying, I think it's like, what do I think would be easiest to sell? I think it's hard to sell something like a Twelfth Night because it's like people go there and there's 3,000 shows to choose from. And it's like, why? Would, unless it's got, you know, incredible names behind it or it's got incredible reviews, but you don't know if you're going to get that. But maybe you think you will. Um, but it's like, why would people choose something that they've probably already seen or they could see somewhere else when they could see a new show 
that has never been done before and might never be done again. It's just like yeah. how do you ha- yeah. how do you make your yeah. show stick out from the three thousand other shows that are there? I guess. And that's a, a really good point as well. It's not just about making it stick out from the other three thousand shows, but it's making it stick out to an audience who are probably theatre lovers or theatre likers yeah. who go to the theatre, and so they probably have the opportunity to see a Shakespeare or to see a Sondheim musical. Um, you know, every day of the year to some extent. Yeah, yeah it's sort um, of a risk-taking audience, isn't it? Uh, you, you're there to experience yeah. something new and different and to be challenged, I suppose. I th- certainly exactly. I, I am when I go there. Exactly. And, I, um, you know, you might see, oh, there's this amazing company that I know that have done this adaptation of, or they've done you know, Shakespeare or Sondheim or whatever, and I need to see it because I know they're amazing, they're really experimental or whatever. Um, and that kind of makes it different. But I think if you're a new company taking your first show, I think you just have to differentiate yourself a bit more. Yeah, very good words, mm. very good advice. Mm. So I suppose then the question would be, you said when you were talking about your degree originally, um, it was a backup plan and <laughs> the stuff you said then. But yeah. are you are you glad that you went to university before becoming a producer yeah I am because I don't think I would have ended up doing it otherwise because I didn't know what it was um and I probably would have ended up because before uni and also during university until I finally decided I was going to take a risk and try and get into theatre for a year I gave myself a year um before I decided I'm gonna go into banking so before that point I was like doing internships (laughs) like Goldman Sachs and like management consulting thingies with um you know, all the like, boring big four firms or whatever. <laughs> so I probably would have ended up doing that um, and not have had as much fun. It, I find it really interesting because we uh, we had a chat with Hannah Elsie as well. Yeah. And and the fact that Hannah's route was much more, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to play with all the different bits of theatre. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to design things. I'm going to, whereas for you, from a from quite an early point it was you know what business stuff uh, that you really yeah. it's kind of if there was an alternative for you it was going into business whereas yeah. for other people it might be doing another bit in theater yeah yeah for sure and i think there's like so there's different types of producers there's like very creative producers and i think all producers are creative but there's some people that like definitely like the creative side is absolutely their thing um and i'd mm. say kind of the opposite like the business side is my thing like I love spreadsheets I love like (laughs) working out kind of like strategies and business plans for various different shows um and yeah I I, like I enjoy the creative side as well but I know it's not my strongest point um so I might say to like some writers I think this but I don't know I'm probably not as helpful to them as another producer might be but that's why I always make sure in the teams that I put together that any weaknesses that I have, somebody else can fill. Um, mm. And I think that's quite important to recognise as a producer. Like, what what are your strongest points? So I know spreadsheets, I'm your gal, no problem. Negotiating <laughs> deals, that's all right. But yeah, need a drama. Exactly, <laughs> and I, I, think it, I think it's really useful to remember that from the other side as well so if you're listening to yeah. this going well I, I'm not that person 
there are people like Laura out there who are. <laughs> yeah. So so it, it works in reverse. That actually you go, well, I, I'm not a spreadsheet person, but I need, so I should find someone who is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and also, I mean, one thing I would say about, you know, if you are pr- approaching a producer or a spreadsheet person, like don't get disheartened when people say no, because like, I think... I don't know. Firstly, spreadsheets are something you can learn, but um, mm. I think the people that do love spreadsheets and the business side of it are, you know, quite. There's not a huge amount of us, um, and you know we have like each producer probably has I don't know like a handful of projects on the go at one time. We we just can't take all of the ones we might want to on. So it doesn't mean that we don't like your show. It might not be for us, but it might be that we just don't have enough time or space or we can't mm. give it the attention it deserves quite yet no but I, th- I think that's a, a, a drum that can't be banged hard enough yeah is that whether it's writing to a producer like you um or writing to an agent if you're an actor or yeah. writing to a director you admire if you want to be a director it's never there is no case ever unless someone's completely off their rocker and then you shouldn't worry anyway that someone's going to hate someone that they've never met and that's why that they're not responding to you or they want to wreck your career or even less melodramatic versions of that I think yeah you're right to to bang that drum of there's only so many hours in a day and actually most people who are whether it's a step further along the journey or 20 steps further along I think most people who are in this business helping other people get up to is pretty high on almost yeah. everybody's agenda yeah definitely um so yeah never take those they're not even rejections are they but never take those not hearing backs or whatever as personal or even as an objective reason to say oh maybe this isn't for me yeah um, and I think I think it's important to get back to people so that's one thing I always try to do mm. I think I always do it I hope so um but yeah, like if it is a no, I mean, every time someone writes to me, I'll have a think like, firstly, I'll, I mean, I'll read it and see if it's something I do want to do. And sometimes it might be, but I can't because um, I've got too much on. But then I'll think about, okay, who do I know who might be interested in this? And I'll probably, you know, I'll, I'll say to them, you know, have you spoken to this person, whatever. But I'm sure they have loads of things on as well. Um, but it's always something you keep in your head. Like there's a few writers that have sent me stuff and though I couldn't do the show at the time, like I still think like of them, or I might have met them for a coffee, and I still have them in my mind when something new comes along. I'm like, who could work? Maybe they could, maybe they'd like to do this. Maybe they'd be really great at this. So mm. I think, you know, don't, like if, if you get a rejection or whatever, don't think of it as like a wasted, like a waste of time, or because I think people do keep you in mind. Mm. You just might. It just often leads to it. work further yeah, exactly. down the line, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And it might be a long yeah. time down the line, which is a shame. Um, but, you know, there's. I think everyone I've ever met for coffee, I still think of when I think of a new project. I'm like, okay, maybe this person. Or There's some people I'd really like to work with and I just haven't had the time or the right project to do it yet. Um, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I just want to touch briefly again on a, a very small thing you said, but actually I think it's quite interesting and quite important which was this idea of giving yourself a year yeah did you did you find that that gave you I don't know that the deadline kind of energized you and is it something that you recommend other people giving themselves that kind of 
right, I'm going to go at this hammer and tong for a year. If it works, great. If it doesn't, then at least I've given my all for that period. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think it depends on what sort of person you are. I mean, I was kind of like, because I knew I had these, I I could, it sounds, I don't know, it sounds a bit cocky, but I knew I had kind of like jobs lined up in industries that would make a huge amount of money. I mean, not huge, well, probably, I don't know, investment banking, very boring, but they all <laughs> seem to be rich. Um, but like where I could have like quite a good career and be very comfortable and probably quite miserable but you know I'd have nice things (laughs) but I was like so I was like okay well and I think part of it's like from my parents like not like just wanting the best for me and knowing that theatre is very hard Um, and so I was like okay well if I give myself a year then I haven't thrown away these other opportunities and I can still go back to them but I can get a chance and if I don't make it then fine but if I do then you know great um but I don't know I it just kind of made me feel more comfortable in taking the risk I think more than anything else and then obviously you're yeah. like oh shit I've got a year I've got to really do this if I, if I want to get anywhere so I think that I, I just went out and bought loads of fancy paper and wrote like nice cover letters <laughs> <laughs> like, but I'm gonna impress them with my paper <laughs> what was your gauge of of success by the end of the year I think it was just to just to be able to make enough money to live like I didn't care about you know I didn't I I never had the intention of making as much an investment banker and you know probably never will I mean who knows he might create the next (laughs) Harry Potter whatever um but it was just like can I actually afford to pay rent and buy groceries I don't really care about anything else um and like, could I get a job or whatever? Like, I, I never really kind of went into it with the idea of freelancing straight away. I wanted to go and learn from someone else. Um, yeah. So, and it's quite, like, I think you get a lot of, like, bitty jobs in theatre as well. So I started mm. off, I did, like, two weeks with someone and then I did a month and then I think it was, like, two months. And then eventually I got this job where I started off for three days as holiday cover and ended up staying there for two years. Um <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think that's just kind of how it goes in theatre. You end up it's like covering for someone on holiday, and then they realise that they actually need you. So was that a process of identifying people to get in touch with, applying for jobs? You were just like, it was just connect, connect, connect. Yeah, I mean, I hate, I absolutely hate networking with a passion. I hate it. I will always hate it. I think <laughs> it's the worst thing in the world. Um, so because I'm, I, I just hate. Well, I just hate it. So. I decided to send people letters instead. Because even if I'd been in a room with these mm. people like at stage one or something, I was like, no, I'm just going to send them a letter because I, I just don't want to go up to them. <laughs> um, so I, it was actually, and I think this again happens a lot in theatre. I sent a letter to Jamie Hendry because I just met him. Well, I hadn't met him. I'd seen him speak at stage one. I was too scared to say hello. Um, so they, it was really good timing because they were just opening Let It Be in the West End and they needed someone to just like help basically running to and from flints for two weeks to pick up screws so i ended up doing that (laughs) and then they asked me back to do um impossible the magic show which was great fun so i was production assistant on that and then somebody who worked there knew james seabright was looking for someone in edinburgh so that happened and then after edinburgh there was like nothing and so i went back i moved back in with my parents after uni um, and I just started writing to everywhere, and then it turned out somebody, oh God, his he'd worked 
that Jamie Hendry's on the marketing and his wife was looking for a production assistant for three days holiday cover. <laughs> and then that ended up being the job I was in for two years. I still work with the producer who headed up that company now. <laughs> so I think a lot of it's luck. But I think if you go in somewhere and you prove yourself, they'll remember you. And even if you don't get something mm. straight away, like it's quite, it's a very small industry, which is very helpful at times, but also it can be very frustrating, I think, for a lot of people. Um, because everybody knows each other. So mm. I don't know. Um, I mean, I was very lucky. I do honestly think if you go in somewhere and you prove yourself, you'll be fine. Like, the um the general my general manager Ellie, so I met her for coffee, um because she was producing a show at the King's Head where I'd produced a show, and so she got in touch with me to like just ask a few questions. She didn't really need the help. She's great, but anyway, she did. And then I think a year later, I was like, "Do you want to come and do some work with me, like one day a week?" And then she did, and now she's with me full time. I don't know, just things <laughs> like that. Hmm. Just a coffee can a year down the line turn into something, I don't know. You don't have to meet them in person, just send them letters like I did. <laughs> <laughs> if you're too if you're too nervous, then just do that. <laughs> and putting yourself into well, you kind of as you say, have now been in those other shoes of the person who is the kind of um, more gatekeepery job offerer. Mm. You know, it's it's kind of logic, isn't it? If you've work in an industry where you get to meet lots of people doing bitty jobs when you get to the point where you need to hire someone what's more logical to kind of trawl back through your kind of mental file of facts of people who you know who could do it or pay thousands of pounds for some big national advertising Mm. campaign to find a stranger yeah I mean I think obviously like I've done also loads of open job calls as well and it just kind of um Depends. Often it's the same, like, it's a lot of the same people applying and, you know, you try, like, you know, we always try and give, um, like, new people jobs. And I think that's really important because you find the people that you work with really well. So like, I think of every show, like, we've been like, okay, this person is great at this. And then obviously, like, people have different strengths for different shows. So you might think, okay, this designer should definitely design this show. They're amazing. And then this other mm. designer should design this show because they're amazing and it just works and it just works I don't know. And it's like, well, what do you want to do? I want to design a musical. Okay. I've got a musical coming up. Maybe you can design that one. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just, a, I think it's just about meeting everyone and showing that you're good because you'll probably be better than you think you are. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, that it is, I don't, I feel like that can also make it feel more enclosed, but I think, Everybody working in that industry, well, most people in that industry have, have been in that position where they're like, they don't know how to get in. And I think therefore people are mm. very receptive. Like if I get a, a letter out of the blue from somebody who wants like work experience, whatever, I'll be like, yeah, come in, come and let's like come and meet and come and work in the office for a week or two and see what you think. Or I don't know. I, yeah. Or I'll think, find other jobs for them like I knew somebody who wanted to do a bit of stage management and then the um position came up on a show that was in the theatre I was programming and it got I told them to apply for it and just things like that I think writing letters is such good advice because 
if you think about how long it takes to write a letter, especially if, as you were, you're kind of in the flow of, right, this is going to be my task for this amount of time. If you get, you know, even 20 letters out, it only takes 10% of those letters to lead to meeting someone. And then suddenly you've got two contacts in the industry. Exactly. And as you say, even if that's only a coffee, that's someone who clearly is taking an interest because otherwise they're not going to be using their their valuable time to to meet you yeah and you just never know when that person will either have something themselves or as you say know someone who knows someone who knows someone mm. who knows someone who's, yeah. who's got something going on exactly and i think it's also really important to like you know write rather than writing 50 letters write four but make sure it's really clear that you know what that person does why you're writing to them, why you want to go and work with them or you want to meet them or whatever. Because I guess, I think everybody, they get so many letters or like emails, it's mostly emails, saying it's it's obviously copy and pasted. And that just says to me like, (laughs) I'm just like, well, you'll probably get a reply from someone else. Like, and I know I do always get back to them, but I'm like, well, I don't, I don't feel like, I feel like maybe you just contacted me because I'm like one of like 200 people and actually if you came in to the office for a couple of weeks, you wouldn't get that much out of it. Whereas if someone's yeah. like, wrote something to me and they've said, I don't know. I, I, they obviously have like looked at what I've done. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they actually like, know, like say they want to be a musical theater producer. And obviously I produce a lot of musicals. That makes sense. But if someone contacts me and they just do plays, and they haven't stated that they have an interest in looking at musicals as well. I'm like, well, have you got in contact with me because you found my, you Googled producers and just found my email address? Or is it actually because you're interested and you think it will be valuable mm. for you to work with us? Um, so I think that's important. Yeah, and not quite the flip side, but another strand to that is also it's enough just to say that you've got an interest, I think. So you could yeah, have exactly. someone who was writing to you saying I've been producing at university have only ever had the opportunity to work on plays and actually do you know what I'd like to explore musicals so could I come and meet you and talk with that and that's just as powerful um, if not sometimes more interesting a letter to get than someone saying um, musicals 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 more musicals Um, it's certainly no worse (laughs) yeah definitely because I just anything that shows that you understand like you know you've actually read what not I don't want to be like guys everyone should read my website but like it just (laughs) it shows me that you're I'm not just you like you actually do want to get something out of this and you're not just trying to get anything like a specific I think I wrote three or four letters <laughs> also just don't you know don't bother going straight to Sonia Freeman because she's very busy um but you know I don't know and I think because because you have when you're writing four letters rather than 50 you have time to be specific and like do mm. your research and really put everything into it and you're more, like, more likely to get a response um anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose finally the last thing I'd like to touch upon, because it kind of brings together, I feel, the two strands of 
your career as it were mm. of working for production companies and making your own work mm. and that's what you're doing now which is obviously still running your company but then also working as head of programming um for troubadour yeah so what i'd particularly be interested to hear about and hope that people listening will be interested to hear about is how to put this you're working for troubadour but then you've also got shows that you're producing on at Troubadour. So, for instance, a couple of years ago, you had a show on at The Fringe and you were working on a West End show. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any kind of bits of advice for, as people get that bit further down their career, of how you can start to merge those two forks into a handle? Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> so obviously I learned a huge amount from working for Runaway Entertainment, which is led by Tristan Baker, who is my favourite person in the world. <laughs> um, but, like, so I learned so much there, and I think I think a lot of people just go straight into producing, and I think it works differently for different people. I wasn't that confident because I didn't, I think because, partly because I was like, I can't work in theatre. So I was like, I'm going to go work for someone else and learn as much as I can. I had a great time. Um, and also just managed to work on shows that were much bigger than I'd ever, like, you know, I won't be working on shows that big myself for a long time, Mm. probably. Mm. Um, So that was just amazing. And then I think it's just about, if you are working for somebody, just communicating, like, what you want to do. Like, I was very clear from the beginning that I wanted to be a producer. Um, And I think a lot of people will take you under their wing, um, and that's certainly what Tris has done with me. So when I said, you know, I want to go part time and work on my own shows, I have more time to work on my own shows. He was very like up for that. Um, I ended up leaving after about two and a half years when I got the stage one bursary. Um, but, you know, kind of kept in contact. Like, if I ever had a question, I'd go back to Tris, <laughs> just bugging him <laughs> all the time. Um, and then, you know, I think most like employers especially like the smaller independent companies will be very flexible with that because they understand that everybody has different things they they want to get into and they'll just be really supportive because everyone's been in that position and wants to help each other really i think we're quite a friendly industry even if we don't seem like it um Mm. so yeah and then obviously troubadour is also owned by tris um (laughs) So when they yeah they spoke to me about the programming job, I was like, oh, that sounds quite cool. Um, so yeah, I just, yeah, I think just being upfront. I think a lot of people were scared. Like I've spoken to other production assistants who want to be producers and are a bit scared to ask their boss or whatever, like, can I have some time off time off to produce this show? Or they're like worried that they're going to get told off for producing their own things alongside working on those productions. And I think actually most producers who are kind of like on the West End level are very much they want to help those who are starting out so I think just don't worry too much about it if they say no then you know fine just leave um yeah <laughs> but no <laughs> but no but I I you know I think they want to help more than anything and I'm sure that's the same that that's the same case in other parts like other job roles industry not just like producing I but that's again is interesting because I think if someone were to look at your website, as you you know flippantly said, but people should do that if they're going to write to you. No, don't look but, at my website. It's terrible. I need to redesign. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, seeing all of those 
credits, A, they're very impressive, but the story that they don't tell is actually how intertwined they all are. Mm. So I think someone might look at that as a graduate and think, okay, production intern on Let It Be, I think with a big effort I could achieve that. But Christ, how do I then go on to, you know, do all of these other things and then end up as the head of programming for Troubadour and then have my own work on a Troubadour? Whereas actually there is a in all of everyone's cv and everyone's about us page or program note there is actually a a thread however thin through every single bit of work so I, i think that's a maybe a good take home message for people as well is that once you can get your foot in the door You've got to keep working hard, but your foot is in the door, however much it looks like people who've gone before you have maybe had to put their foot in the door and then pull it out, in, out, shake it all about. Actually, when you start to create those connections, they do last and they do create, sow the seeds for the other things. The other things don't just appear out of nowhere or out of more random door knocking. It's all linked in some way, shape or form, isn't it? Exactly. I honestly think if, if... Say you want to be a producer, but you want to work for somebody else first. I honestly think if you get that first internship and you show that you're, you know what you're doing. Well, not that you know what you're doing, because no intern knows what they're doing. But like, <laughs> you like show some promise. I think honestly, you will get somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah, you just will. Even if it takes longer than you thought it might, there's always someone keeping you in mind for something, even if you don't know about it. Well, I think that's a lovely, lovely piece of advice for someone who was in is in the shoes that you were once in and a lovely way to end yay (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for coming on laura it's lovely to speak to you well there you go that was our chat with the fantastic producer laura elms i certainly found that very very informative uh marcus what was the one thing that you're going to take out of that above all else yeah I think she she didn't say this sort of explicitly but something that came across to me just through the conversation was how much Laura was prepared to put herself in learning positions throughout how whether that was going to Edinburgh as a student or writing letters to people and getting in rooms or doing workshops while she was still a student putting herself in those learning situations and being prepared to and not afraid to learn I think that's the big thing for me how about you? For me, I think it was just the idea that she spoke about of giving herself one year to really have a go at trying to start out as a producer, um, knowing that if that wasn't to be, then she had fallback options as well. Um, and I think that was clearly something that fitted in with, you know, her skill set and her personality of being an organiser, etc., but actually is maybe something that people who are a bit more um, inclined to the creative and the free, let's just have a go at this forever um, attitude to life, is actually to sometimes think, even if it's a bit more artificial than it seemed to be with Laura, right, I'm going to give myself this set period of time, and maybe that will actually empower me to go even harder at what I want within that period. Yeah. Yeah, great. 
So I hope you found that useful and insightful. If you did, then you can subscribe to the Cyphers Theatre Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, please do. And if you happen to have any questions for us, then do send them to us on Twitter at Cyphers UK using the hashtag Cyphers Create. And we'll be sure to get back to you or even to feature them in a future podcast. So anyway, until next time, thank you very much again for tuning in and listening. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.